0: The coronation of Queen Elizabeth occurred on June 2nd, 1953. Surprisingly, you can find the entire service online. It has some of those great. Uh ceremonies and language that, is, uh, that you would expect. It begins, the service begins, all the uh, participants take their place, or uh, the archbishops and lords and ladies, and of course, Queen Elizabeth herself, and one of the first things that happens in that service is the archbishop addresses the assembly and says these words, Sirs, I present unto you Queen Elizabeth, your undoubted queen, wherefore all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? In other words, here is your queen. Are you ready to pledge your faithfulness to her? And this statement is repeated not once, not twice, not three times, but four times. Four times this same presentation occurs by the archbishop, first addressing the congregation in front of him, then, uh, the then turning to the east, then addressing each of the four points of the compass, representing uh, the, the, the expanse of the British Empire, representing all peoples throughout all the lands, saying, here is your queen. Are you ready to do her, to pledge your faithfulness to her? Later on in the service, representatives from those four points of the compass come, kneel before the queen, the newly crowned queen, and say these words, I, Philip, I, whomever, I do become your liege man of life and limb, isn't that great? Your liege man of life and limb. In other words, I, I become your faithful servant of life and limb and of earthly worship and faith and truth. And I will bear unto you to live and die against all manner of folk. So help me, God. So the queen is presented to the people, north, south, east, west, to all people. And then representatives of all those people come and pledge Their faithfulness, and what a great line, even their earthly worship. We are in a sermon series on worship. I thought it would be a helpful subject for us to consider. Last week we considered why we worship. And this week we want to consider the question of who it is we worship. Who do we worship? That may seem like a a pretty simple question. We worship God, of course, but I'm of the opinion that that three-letter word could use a little bit of refinement for most of us. I mean, God, there's a lot of content that can be shoved into that word. For some, God may mean nothing more than an impersonal force akin to something you'd see in the movies, maybe an Olympian figure like uh, Zeus with a bearded figure on a cloud with a lightning bolt. I wonder if you'd do me the favor of turning to, in the Pew Bible, to page 1194. It's in the back of your Bible, a book called The Revelation of John. We're we're going to look at both chapter 4 And chapter 5, we heard our first reading was actually of the fifth chapter of Revelation. But we're going to spend time in both of these chapters, just a few moments in each. The chapter begins when the author receives an invitation. This is chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, the door standing open to heaven... And he hears a voice that says, Come up here, and I will show you the things that must take place. In other words, the author is being welcomed in, ushered into the very throne room of heaven to observe the, the, the worship that's occurring there. These are great chapters. So, what does he see? In the center of the room, there is a throne. Verse 2 A throne there stood in heaven, and he sees. One who was seated on the throne. Now, if you read the passage in its entirety, you note that there's no real description of who is on the throne. The only thing he sees is uh, glowing lights of red and green and of rainbow colors emanating from that throne. He only can hear, he hears the sound of thunder emanating from that throne and the, 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 the peal of lightning or the peal of thunder and the flash of lightning. And around that throne in verse 11 are all sorts of creatures, myriads and myriads of creatures and angels and elders and you know, creatures that we, we cannot even uh, describe. And they say this, Worthy, worthy are you, our Lord God. To receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created. Now, obviously, that, that figure on the throne that cannot be described in terms of other than light and sound is, of course, the invisible God. But and did you hear why he is worshiped? For why? How is he presented in this throne room? He is presented as. Our Creator. By your will they existed, all things, and were created. I don't know if you heard in our, our, the psalm that we began with, the 95th psalm, begins in much the same way as this vision. Oh, come worship the Lord. Let us bow down before Him, before, because He is a great God. In His hands are the caverns of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he has made it. He is our creator. Now, when is the last time that you have pondered the, the, the brilliance, uh, the power that God displayed in his creation? I've been pondering that question maybe a little bit more than normal for the past couple of months. I'm reading this little book called, it's actually not little at all, it's uh, called uh, A Short History of Everything, it's a book in which the author describes or just explores all these sort of intriguing questions that we just don't take the time to ponder. And I don't know if the author, Bill Bryson is the author, is writing from any faith perspective. If he is, he's rather coy about it. But the effect for me of reading this little, this big book has been just to wonder and marvel at God's creative brilliance and power in everything that we see and have a potential to take for granted for instance did you know that you this little little planet that we have earth it just so happens to be in exactly the right spot in front of exactly the right type of sun a sun any brighter burns too fast a sun any cooler doesn't allow for life We're the right type of distance. 5% change either direction. You get too hot and burn up. 5% further away, too cold. We're the right type of planet. We're the right type of distance. Not only that, we're the right type of planet. As far as we know, we are the only planet with a molten center. That sounds a little bit like a uh, a, a candy, Earth with a molten center. What it means is that you dig down deep enough and things get really hot, like molten rock and lava, all right? We all know this, but you probably didn't know that it's that molten center which has created the majority of our atmosphere. The volcanic eruptions populated the atmosphere with enough to shield us from the harmful UV, whatever the harmful things that the sun puts out, and as well as to capture enough heat to keep us warm. Further, this molten center allows for something called plate tectonics. Everyone that rings a bell somewhere back from junior high, plate tectonics, we all know what that means. It means that we're on Plates that are shifting and moving. Now, we don't feel it. You're not moving very fast. You're moving at about the same pace as your fingernails are growing. So you're in 2018, you will be a yard further away from Europe than in 2017. That's about the pace of our drift. And these plate tectonics allow for texture in our planet, right? So one plate collides with another and mountains uh, pop up and plateaus and, and valleys sink. Why is this important? Well, because there's enough water on our planet that if our planet was perfectly smooth, every square inch of our planet would be covered by about two miles of water. So there may be life, but there certainly wouldn't be you and me, no baseball. Speaking of water, water is made of Two of the most highly combustible materials, that if you put them together, they just happen to form a liquid which behaves like no other liquid and is absolutely essential for every type of life. Water is that only liquid that expands as it freezes. It becomes solid and it expands. No other material behaves in the same way. It's good for us that it does because without that little nifty uh, uh, development, Ice would sink, which means the oceans would freeze from the bottom up. Now, what that would do to life as we know it, who knows, but it certainly wouldn't be as it is now. Who thought of this? Who placed the earth in just the right spot, in just the right sun? Who thought of plate tectonics? Who thought of making hydrogen and oxygen into the one liquid that behaves like no other liquid? God. It's... It's his creative brilliance. Now, all of us are creative in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not in the traditional ways. I was always a doodler. Maybe some of you have create other creative outlets, but all of us are creative. And so we all know the challenge of looking at a completely blank piece of paper and thinking, gosh, what am I going to draw? What am I going to write? what is this blank piece of paper going to be? God looked at a completely blank slate. Nothing there. And out of his own creative brilliance came everything that is, from black holes to supernovas to the crab nebula, to the the earth under your feet, to the molecules that make up your body, to the atoms that compose water. He is the creator. And the creation is worth our study. One of my favorite authors is John Stott, the late John Stott, one of the most influential Bible scholars. And he said that God has revealed himself to us. God has revealed himself to us through both his written word and his created world. And we should be students of both. He was a lifetime ornithologist. One of his best books is The Birds, Our Teachers, as he surveys all the birds that he has seen in his numerous travels. Now, maybe you don't have the time to be a, stu- a studied ornithologist, but I, I, I know I'm not alone. That, those few occasions when I pause and look at creation, you know, look up at the stars or walk on the seashells and think of how all that sand got there, it's almost instinctively, almost impulsively, you join in with the, throne, the chorus of the throne room of heaven. Worthy are you, O God, because you have created all things. Maybe we would even find ourselves humming a few bars of that well-known hymn, How Great Thou Art. Do you know that one? Oh, it's a wonderful hymn. That great hymn. O oh Lord my God, when I an awesome wonder... When I consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, the power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art! How great thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Now, if you know that hymn, you know that this hymn does not stop. There. But it goes on to this line. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. The hymn does not stop at wonder at God's creative power, but moves on to God's redeeming love. And it is, that, it is the exact same motion we find in Revelation chapter 5. That's the passage we heard. Because the throne room is not empty. Or on the throne, there sits something that emanates only light. But the throne is not alone. Next to the throne, there's another creature, it's a lamb from verse, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 6. and between the throne and the living creatures among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And the lamb, of course, is Jesus Christ. And he, note, he is not presented to us as our great creator. He is instead presented to you and me for our worship because of His redemption. Again, this is verse 9 of that same chapter. They sang a new song, saying to the Lamb, Worthy are you to take up the scroll to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people. You are worthy, for you were slain, and by your love you redeemed the people. God is not only praised for his creation, he's praised for his redemptive work. Now, I think, I think any builder would tell you that it is always much, much easier to start fresh. That's why the suburbs continue to sprawl. We've visited Orange Park, Florida. That's where I grew up. And when we grew up, Orange Park was the new suburb outside of Jacksonville. It's no longer, it's getting a little bit tired. Because it's just so easy, land there being cheap, it just keeps on pushing further and further south. No one bothers to restore the old because it's just too easy to start new. I have a friend who's restoring an old mill near Orkney Springs, about an hour and a half away from here, out in western part of Virginia. That mill dates from about 1800 it's an absolutely phenomenal building. Now, the structure, the beams that hold it up are probably a foot a foot wide by a foot wide. The, those beams are now as hard as iron. A huge building, three stories high, used for grinding um, wheat at one point in time. Now it's fallen out of, uh, fallen into disrepair. It was, in fact, going to be dismantled. It's timber sold. But thankfully, my friend uh, intervene is now on the historic registry, and he's he's restoring it. He lives here, and he restores it at the pace of probably one plank a week. It is going to be a lifetime endeavor, or it, will, it is a lifetime endeavor. I asked him why he was doing this. Why was he taking the time to uh, almost to take on this Herculean task? And his response in his response, he became teary eyed and he said, this is almost, for me, an a experience of worship, to walk into this building and to f- see the craftsmanship and to know what that building represented at a simpler time. Who knows? Here's the point. You only restore things that you, you love because it's just too easy to start fresh, right? Think of your own creative impulse. I'm a novice uh, woodworker, emphasis on novice and so I know how easy it is to get halfway through a project and think, well, this is just not going according to plan. Maybe you have written a story or drawn a picture and got halfway through and thought, nope, not going according to plan. So we take our picture and make sure I don't tear out any of my existing notes, but we take our picture or our story and we say, yeah, I'll start again. Here's the point. God doesn't start again. He redeems his creation. I think it's just very stirring to think that God, the master craftsman, didn't walk away from his creation when his creation turned away from him. He didn't say, well, I'm going to find another planet with a molten sinner. Try this thing again. No, he redeemed his creation. And redemption, the work of redemption, the work of restoration, is always, always, always harder than the work of creation. You see, my friend uh, is not going to intentionally spill any blood restoring this mill. Not intentionally, I'm sure accidentally he already has, and more will come, but that will be accidentally. Jesus is presented to us as the slain lamb, whose blood has restored and redeemed a people for him. That's, of course, a reference to the cross, that by his blood he restores us. By his blood, he ransoms us back to God. Here is how the Bible presents God to you and me. A throne blazing with light and thunder bracketed on one side by a slain lamb, both receiving equal praise, both receiving equal worship from myriads and myriads and myriads. One receiving praise because of his creative power and creative brilliance. The other receiving praise and worship because of his redeeming love. And as we conclude, I simply want us to consider does this compelling vision, this powerful vision of the worship in the throne of heaven, worship in the the, the throne room of heaven, does it have a place in your life? Perhaps some of us have simply never considered who it is that we worship. God is some amorphous and ill-defined figure. Just consider this compelling vision. God, your creator. Not just your creator, but your redeemer. Perhaps some of us in the busyness of life and the many mundane challenges that we all face have simply forgotten. We've forgotten this compelling vision. The throne blazing with light a lamb slain a slain lamb on one side perhaps some of us have let real uncertainties and real difficulties crowd out this and we've forgot that at the center of the universe there's a throne perhaps some of us have rejected this vision and then lived as if it were simply not true So whether we have forgotten or neglected or rejected, let's consider it again. I hope this is uh, not overly dramatic, but allow me to conclude as we began. Recall the Archbishop presents the Queen to the four corners of the church, or the four corners of the the empire, representing the people of all the land. So here's how the Bible presents God to us throne filled with light rainbow shining from it a sound of lightning or the, the the sight of lightning the sound of thunder and he is the creator of all things big and small he spoke the universe into existence and by his creative power and genius he sustains it and next to the throne there is a lamb who was slain who now lives again And by his death, he has redeemed you and me. This is our God. This is who we worship. Our creator and our redeemer. Just as those people from far and wide came and knelt before the queen and placed their hands in between hers, perhaps we may do the same. I... David, I, John, I, do become your faithful servant of life and limb, and I give you all, all of my worship.